0: Amen, amen, if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32, we're going to be reading verses 22 through 32, even though we'll be looking at a solid three chapters uh, in the course of the sermon, Genesis chapter 32, uh, verses 22 through 32, a lot of twos there, but that's okay, we'll, we'll keep it all straight here. Uh, As you're opening up there, let me say what a joy it is to get together and worship with all of you today. It really is uh, exciting to see more and more faces coming back to church. And so many of you here for the first time as well, what a joy it is uh, to have you with us here uh, today. If you have your Bibles open there, I'm going to ask you, uh, as we do each week, to go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself speaking to us. Beginning in verse 22. The same night, he, that's Jacob, arose. He took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, I ask if you would please open our hearts and minds to receive your word. And God, I pray we would be changed by it. But it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whitney and I had been married for less than two years when we decided to take a trip from Kentucky, where we lived at the time, to Charleston, South Carolina. We were going to go and see Charleston and enjoy all the beautiful sights and everything else. And so one day we got off work and decided, I I, I think I've talked to you all about this before, I'm one of these people that you don't leave for vacation the day you're supposed to leave for vacation. You leave for vacation the day you get off work. Uh, the day before. As soon as you get off work, that's when vacation starts. And I want to milk as much time as I can. So we get off work and we hit the road and we're going to get as far as we can, as close as we can to Charleston, and uh, see if we can't find a hotel somewhere on the road. And indeed, we did find a hotel on the road. We made it all the way to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, I, it was about one in the morning when we got there. And so I told Whitney, I said, I'm not going to spend a bunch of money on a hotel tonight I'm gonna find the cheapest place we can find and sure enough we found a place that fit the bill as I was walking out of the hotel after booking our room I've probably never been more proud of myself in my life because the sign at the hotel said $39 on it well I told the guy in there I said listen it's one o'clock in the morning we're getting up early to go to Charleston Think you could do it for 29 And uh, he said, sure. Man, I felt great. I, I was riding high. Husband of the year. Until we checked in. I mean, you've got to understand what kind of hotel we were at. Um, it's indistinguishable from the truck stop next to it. It, it feels like it's all one big business. This is the kind of hotel, you, you go to the Continental Breakfast the next morning, and it's a pot of coffee and a carton of Marlboros. It's, uh, we, 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 we recognize this is not the kind of place my wife, at this point I didn't know, my wife is not accustomed to this sort of accommodations. And, and I want to tell you, I, I thought I was using something great for the family. Every dollar I don't spend on this hotel is a dollar we can spend in Charleston. What a blessing I am to this woman. And, and then when I realized, I was like, babe, why, why aren't you getting in your pajamas? And she was like, I'm not changing clothes in this room. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm having a blast. I'm, I'm, I'm snuggling up into the bed and everything, and she's laying on top of the cover. She won't get in the bed. That hotel room has cost me more money than any hotel room ever has. Because from that day until this day, we've never been able to have even so much as a question as to what sort of hotel we might stay in. Sometimes I wonder if at this point of the narrative, Jacob might feel a little bit like Whitney did that night. If this is your idea of a blessing, and if this is your idea of what it means to be blessed, I don't think I'm interested. At this point, Jacob may be ready to get out of this situation. And yet, despite the ways that God's blessings don't always exactly match up in ways that we would expect, that doesn't mean that God's not at work. You may, you may be surprised to hear this, but God is wiser than we are. God, in His weakness in our eyes, is stronger than us in our strength. And God, in His what looks like foolishness to us, is wiser than we are in our extreme, our most, our most high points of wisdom in our lives. You see, so often there are things that we cannot see that God is at work doing outside of our ability to understand them or apprehend them. Isn't it odd that God is scheming, That Jacob is still scheming as we look at these three chapters? He, he's still trying to trick, he's still trying to scheme, and yet God provides for him through getting caught. Isn't it weird that God blesses him by giving him a limp? Doesn't it seem strange to us that God protects him through a confrontation with his brother from whom he wanted to run? None of the human schemes work. If you look back at all the plans that Jacob's had, all of them have come to really bad ends, and yet God is still at work fulfilling his purposes, doing what he said. God is keeping his promises, his purposes stand, despite Jacob's schemes and even sins. This morning, I I want you to know that there are some of you in the room right now who are struggling with God's will. You're struggling with God's purposes. You're, You're struggling with God's plan. You're wondering how God could be at work in the circumstances you find yourself in. And you might even be angry with the Lord. Now, you may not be in a $29 a night hotel room in Spartanburg, South Carolina, but things aren't good. You're frustrated with the Lord. This morning, I want to show you three ways, three truths that can help you get on board with the purposes and the plan and the will of God. Those of you who are frustrated, those of you who are struggling, those of you who are in trials, those of you who are suffering, those of you who are living out the consequences of your own sin and yet find yourself frustrated with God. I want want to show you three truths that I think Jacob learns in this narrative that will help you get on board with what God's doing in your life and, in fact, in the world. Here's the first. I want to press upon you that you should embrace God's provision in your life. God provides. I think you should embrace God's provision in your life. Well, the Lord, as we've seen in previous chapters, if you weren't here, I'll catch you up. The Lord has taken uh, and blessed Jacob despite the fact that his father-in-law has tricked him into staying longer than he really even had to stay. And he tricked him into marrying one of his daughters that he didn't intend to marry. And now the Lord has blessed Jacob, not through deception, but that God has given to Jacob out of the flocks of his father-in-law, Laban. The Lord has blessed him, and Laban knows this. He's heard this, he knows this. In fact, through divination, the Bible says, he learned that it was because of Jacob that God was blessing him. And and you may not know this but but remember that Jacob still believes and the last he's heard if he ever goes back to town his brother is going to murder him. Esau is out for him. And notice what God says to Jacob. Verse 2 of chapter 31 now, Jacob, verse one, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. In verse two, Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Trouble ahead, trouble behind. H- here we see the way. That, that Jacob has found himself between a rock and a hard place. He, he, the, the Hebrew is literally translated in such a way that as he saw Laban's faith, he sees his displeasure with him. You, you, you've been in that situation where, where somebody just don't look at you the way they used to. Well, you can tell they're upset with you. Things just aren't right. And he knows things are about to go south with Laban, and yet he's got to return home, and his brother's waiting on him there. God tells him it's time to go. And so he goes, but not without a scheme. Not without a scheme. He's got to have a plan. It is Jacob, uh, uh, nonetheless. He is the deceiver. He is the trickster. He is the one that's got to figure these things out. And so in the first several verses of this chapter, verses 4 through 13, Jacob begins to make sure his wives are on board with him. He, he wants to make sure that they're not still totally loyal to their dad. He wants to make sure they're on board. And that works. They're ready to go because they feel defrauded by their father. A huge part of a dowry in ancient times, that is a bride price, was meant to be given to the bride. And yet Leah and Rachel both say that they've not received any financial help from their dad. They feel like they've just been sold to Jacob. They feel mistreated by their father as well. You'll remember when we first meet Laban, the first thing he notices is the money that Abraham's servant has and the gold ring and all those things. He's been eyeing this out. He's a greedy man. He doesn't even take care of his own daughters like he should. The Bible tells us that in order to make some distance between his flocks and Jacob's flocks, that Laban had put them about three days' journey from Jacob. And so when it's time to go shear the sheep, Jacob's wise enough to know and to remember that Laban's about three days away. And so it becomes the perfect time To flee. Jacob's, Laban's out of town and Jacob runs. He gets all his people, all his family, all his flocks, all his stuff, and he runs. And despite the trick, despite the deception, several days later, Jacob is overtaken. Laban catches up with him. His sins have found him out. God's provided him with wives and children an abundance of good, he's multiplied his flocks, he's got wealth, and God is fulfilling his promises in Jacob's life, and yet here it is all hanging in the balance. And it's God who provided all the stuff, and yet Jacob's scheming, Jacob's planning, Jacob's abilities were not sufficient to keep it. And yet keep it he did. He he kept all those things. All those things made it where they were supposed to go. What did preserve Jacob? What really happened? Was it his plan? No. Notice what the Bible says in verse 22 of chapter 31. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God, you see that? Verse 24, but God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Be careful with Jacob, the Lord tells him. Be be, be careful how you treat him. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you say to him. What is it? Was it Jacob's plotting and planning? Was it his scheming? Was it his trickery that led him to be preserved through all of this? In this ensuing argument with Laban as they, as they go toe-to-toe over who owns what and what belongs to who and who's wronged who and who's tricked who and all these different things, what is it that really restrains Laban from making war against his son-in-law Jacob? Only God's warning. Only what God has done. And as Jacob finds himself striving with man, yet again, ultimately it's God and not Jacob who prevails. I ask you a simple question today. Are you trusting in God's provision? First, are you trusting in His spiritual provision in your life? Some of us are looking everywhere but the Word and the Spirit for spiritual nourishment. Any TV preacher that comes on, any any wacko book that comes along, we feel like, sign me up for that, because if it's spiritual, it must be good. But the Bible says to test every spirit. Where are you looking for spiritual nourishment? Where are you looking for your salvation? I hope it's to the Lord and the Lord alone. And yet I also pray that you'll embrace God and His plan and His will for your material provision. That it's God who provides for us materially. Some of us spend all of our lives worrying and fretting and working to make sure we have enough, to make sure that we have more than enough to try to keep up with everyone else. We worry and fret over what others will think. What if our car is not as new as our friend's car? What if our stuff's not as good as our friend's stuff or whatever else? Some of us are even working and scheming in shady ways, less than holy ways, for material provision don't you see from the life of Jacob the way that you would do better to trust God? That faithfulness is a better way than sinfulness. That simple trust is a better way than worry. That godly contentment in what God has given us is a better path than covetousness. Would you embrace God's provision? Second of all, furthermore, would you receive God's gracious blessing would you receive god's gracious blessing jacob's got two big problems in his estimation the first one is laban well that's sorted right god's got that handled okay well it's time to move on well i don't know if you've ever been in one of these situations where you get one thing down and you realize the bigger one's still yet to come now he's got to deal with esau He's got another problem ahead. It's time for another scheme then. That's how Jacob works. Now now bear in mind, I want you to know that despite his fear of Esau, Jacob has answered God's call to go home. And so there is a sense in which Jacob is already moving toward faith. I I think part of what we're looking at here is Jacob's journey from self-sufficiency to faith. And so just in trusting the Lord and going home, in taking one step toward Esau, I think Jacob's already taken a step of faithfulness, and yet he still needs to work a little bit. He still wants to make sure he's got a system of self-preservation worked out. He's answered the Lord's call to go home despite his fear of Esau, and yet he still sends messengers to talk to Esau ahead of the journey. And when they come back and they give him the news, it strikes fear and trembling in Jacob's heart. Esau has somehow gotten the news that Jacob's on the way home and he is on his way with 400 men. A militia accompanies Esau. Now, if you're Jacob and you know that your brother has said he's going to kill you and you hear he's coming with 400 men, what's your first thought? It's time to run, it is time to go. I've got to find a way to preserve these people in my strength and in my way. comes because of a really clever idea. He decides he's going to divide into two camps so at least some of his family will survive. But I think we see another little note here of Jacob's journey to faith, genuine trust in the Lord. He prays in verses 9 through 12. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. By the way, if you're ever doubting God, quote his promises back to him. He doesn't mind that. It's a good reminder for you when you talk about God's promises. Verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. That's a lot different than if you'll do good by me and you'll provide for me, then you'll be my God. Jacob's changing. He says, with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He prays. He gets on his knees before God. He's afraid, and he asks the Lord to work and to move. And so he lines up extravagant gifts to be sent to his brother. He stays behind. He sends his family across the Jabbok. And he stays behind for the night. And it's there that he meets God again. And yet God reveals Himself to Jacob in a different way this time. God wrestles with him through the night. And they wrestle through the night. This is the second time The Bible's depicted Jacob as having remarkable strength, even supernatural strength. You may remember when he met Rachel, there was a a big stone over the well, and the shepherds told him that everyone has to get there before we roll the stone. And yet, when Rachel showed up, Jacob himself, the Bible says, moved the stone off the well. It's a supernatural feat of strength. And here again, we see him wrestling, I believe, in that instance and in this one, with strength that God is providing. If he's as strong like that all the time, it seems like he wouldn't be afraid of Esau. But he is indeed. And so here the Lord again is providing him with supernatural strength in such a way that he's able to prevail over this display of God. This man that he's wrestling with. And finally, after a night of prevailing, the sun is rising and Jacob won't let go of this wrestler. And what does God do? He reaches out, and with one touch, maims Jacob, lays Jacob low. It was one of those two-hit fights at that point, right? He hits Jacob's hip, and Jacob hits the ground displaying the sort of power that God has where he could have ended the fight anytime he wanted to. And yet, he's teaching Jacob something and he's teaching you something. And as as Jacob is maimed and has to walk with a limp, as, as God touches him in his thigh and teaches him that he ought to be humble, Jacob says he saw God and lived. And he begs for a blessing. And God gives him his blessing. After touching his hip, he says, Your name is Jacob, but now it is Israel. For you have striven with man and with God, and have prevailed. Brothers and sisters, God brings us to the end of ourselves. We want God to bless our strength. Oh God, use me and my strengths and my gifts to do this or that or whatever else. We want God to bless our plans. Lord, you know what I want to do? Will you bless these plans? We want God to rubber stamp our ideas. That's how we like to think about God's faithfulness. That's how we like to think about God's blessings. And yet Jacob had wrestled with his brother. He had wrestled with his father. He had wrestled with his father-in-law. And now he has wrestled with God. And so like Jacob, we wrestle with God until we receive his blessing. And we receive the same blessing from God that Jacob received. And that is the eradication of our self-determination, our pride, and our commitment to our own abilities and plans. God's blessing comes with a limp. God brought Jacob to the end of his scheming, to the end of his planning, to the end of his rope. And the last scheme he had left, which was to run for his, from his brother, was eliminated when God made it where he could barely even walk. My friends, so often, I fear that we are so eaten up with our own self-righteousness, that we have missed God's grace. Years ago, somebody told me that the, the verse for the new age would not be John 3.16 anymore, that he foresaw that people were moving toward judge ye not lest ye be judged. Is sort of the main verse. And, you know, we've seen that happen in society, right? And yet I fear that because the world's gone to judge ye not lest ye be judged, I think the church has abandoned John 3.16 too. And our new verse is, thank God I'm not like that other man, a sinner. We walk around puffed up, strutting and clucking our tongues at those who are so silly. They're so silly. All the things they care about are so silly. They don't even care about God like we do. We're Baptists, the godliest people in the world. We, we, we puff our chests up. We strut around. We're prideful, but brothers and sisters, show me the limpers. I I, want to see the ones who are limping because God has touched them in their pride. I want to see the people that can barely walk because they've caught a vision of God's holiness and recognize their own sin. I want to see the people who have recognized that God's grace comes with walking with a limp. I want us to see that it's all of His power and none of ours. I want us to walk broken before a broken world showing them there's only one remedy for sin. And that's the grace of God in Christ. You show me the limpers. You show me the strugglers. You show me the ones with a contrite heart before God. You show me the ones that go to bring their offering and they beat their chest before God saying, I'm not worthy to give you anything, Lord, and I'll show you the ones God will use. You give me ten limpers, over a thousand strutters any day of the week. My friends, will we embrace and receive God's gracious blessing of humiliation? God's gracious blessing of humiliation of robbing us of our pride. Will we accept the kingdom into which you must enter walking with a limp? Finally, I pray that we will trust God's protection. I pray that we will trust God's protection finally. What is left? I've alluded to this already, but what is left of Jacob's scheming? What's left of what he can do? He mustered all the strength he had. And yet at the end of the day, he came out of the meeting, certainly with a blessing, but also with a limp. And so he ran from home and he ran from Laban. But how can he run now? How can he run from Esau? And then look out over the horizon. Do you see what's coming? There's not even time to employ the plan. Because guess what? Esau's here. He's not going to him. Esau's coming to Jacob. And there he is with his militia of 400 And here Jacob has to walk, limping toward his brother, relying on God and God alone. And while he's being wise, there's not much he can do to employ his plan, and so he does all that he can do. He gets out ahead of all of his people, he splits them up the best he can, and he goes to meet his brother, limping down the way, bowing seven times, mustering all the humility he can, Asking for mercy. Not striving any longer with man and with God. But asking both God and man for mercy. And in this moment of humility, this broken and maimed man, as he walks toward the brother from whom he had stolen everything, his brother begins to run. Straight at him. And can you imagine the feeling you might have in your heart when you thought, the Lord has brought me this far, but this is the end. Here comes the one who will take my life, take my people, take my flocks, and steal back from me that which I stole from him. And at the moment of truth, Esau falls on his brother. Not with a sword, not with a fist, not with rage but with tears of joy an embrace a kiss a welcome home and here we see the way that god is at work reconciling brothers this picture of enmity between brothers is such a, a resonant theme in the book of Genesis that teaches us about the sin which so easily entangles us and which is spreading like a cancer through all creation beginning when Cain spilt the blood of his righteous brother Abel in it called out to God from the ground and here we see another moment where it seems as if fratricide will win the day again and instead God is bringing reconciliation between two brothers. It's a symbol of the way that God is healing the world of sin through the line of Jacob through the line of Israel. God is healing relationships by His grace. God is healing all those relationships that were broken at the fall. God is making all things right and He's doing it in such a way that He's showing the way that He Human progress and human schemes and human ideas are not sufficient. They don't work. God eradicates them, God lays them low. But guess what does work? God answered Jacob's prayer. When he was contrite and humble, God answered his prayer to deliver him from his brother Esau. And what he would have expected to receive in the night was a blessing of strength and power. But instead, God gave him a limp and demonstrated to him and to those of us who are hearing his word this very day, this man who showed supernatural strength at least twice, God is demonstrating that it would not be by his strength that he was delivered, but by God's strength and God's strength alone. Oh, how you need God's protection. Oh, how you need the cover of God. You can trust Him. You can stop striving and fighting and depending on your own strength and wisdom and you can trust God. You can stop worrying and fretting over whether God will protect you and trust whatever His protection is, is what's best for you. And it probably won't look exactly like you want it to look, but can't we trust that God's provision is better? And ultimately, can't we see the way that God provides all these things for us in Christ? God was preserving Jacob in order to bring the Christ into the world. But He was preserving him in such a way to teach us something about how He works and how He would one day work through the cross. Some of you are running right now from God's provision, blessing, and protection because it doesn't look like what you want it to. Because if you... You know if you go to God in faith in Jesus that you'll walk away from that meeting with God with a limp. You'll have to tell the world that a crucified Savior is my only hope. You can't understand what it means for God to do these things for you outside the way the world defines them. And yet despite the riches and strength and wisdom and plans and schemes that we all have, don't you see how God has brought His promises to you this very day through weakness and through foolishness foolishness in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps right now at this very moment, as these words are being spoken to you, you yourself are wrestling with God. There's a chance that some of you strutted into this building today. Perhaps you wanted to come here and you wanted to leave here in your own strength, in your own wisdom, and that's what's keeping you from God today. Is there a chance that at this very moment you might say, oh God, bless me. Bless me this very day. And perhaps what it is that God wants to do is touch you on your hip so that you know that you are not walking according to your own strength or pride but by his grace and his grace alone through the weakness of the cross repent and believe and walk into his kingdom with a limp today would you do that would you put your trust and your faith in Jesus would you trust him this very morning would you come to know the God who gives you all these things apart from your striving I know you're tired I know you're struggling I know you're weak would you receive the strength that comes through Christ and Christ alone today walk into his kingdom with a limp today perhaps you're not lost perhaps you're a believer and you say pastor I I need God to deal with my pride today would be a good day to do what Jacob did and go to him in prayer. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. After this service is over today, I'd love for you to come find me. And I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, right where you are, I want you to do business with the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And oh God, it's our prayer that you would humble us before you this very day. Help us see the gospel. Help us trust in you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.